Good morning. Welcome to the Long Live Alternative Parties podcast. Free Press Media Press Inc. and Alternative Parties Books Publisher sponsors this podcast. I'm Andrew Bouchard. Welcome to our Long Live Alternative Parties podcast. Today, friends, we have another exciting guest on the podcast. The organization is called Nonpartisan Nebraska. It's discussing a reform we have not yet discussed on this podcast. We've discussed tons of different reforms. So I'm looking forward to hearing about the exciting things they're talking about in this reform. So welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Andrew. Thanks for having me. We're glad to have you. If we could get started by kindly giving us an introduction to yourself, a brief biographical sketch. Yeah, uh, my name is Nathan Leach. I live in Kearney, Nebraska. Um, it's a city right in the middle of the state. Um, I graduated from high school here, and um, following graduation, I went and worked in the Arizona State Senate as a page. I oh. have family in Arizona, and um, then went and worked in South Dakota for a ballot initiative for nonpartisan elections, um, statewide nonpartisan elections, similar to what we have here in Nebraska. Oh. So I've always been really passionate about um, parliamentary procedure and nonpartisan governance because I grew up in Nebraska, which has, unlike any other state, a nonpartisan unicameral. Um, and since, since that campaign, I've been working in Nebraska to try and keep our nonpartisan unicameral in place. So it's been a little bit of a, a, a lifetime um, work project, and I'm really passionate about it. Excellent. So you said you worked in South Dakota. Where exactly in South Dakota? Well, we were based in Sioux Falls. We were part of the oh. voter outreach coordinating team. So we did a lot of door knocking in Sioux Falls and then also in Rapid City and, and kind of went around the state for that whole election season in 2016, which was a really interesting election season to be talking to folks about nonpartisanship. So. Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. I lived in South Dakota during my youth, and I lived in Sioux Falls for a couple of years, so I'm familiar okay. with the area. So that's awesome you were there. So if you could please tell our audience your what your organization is and what it does and how it got started and all that good stuff. Nonpartisan Nebraska advocates for keeping the Nebraska legislature um, a nonpartisan unicameral. So rather than have a House and a Senate, Nebraska has – one unicameral body of 49 senators, and they don't organize by political party. So there's no majority leader, no minority leader, no political caucuses. Power is decentralized amongst the members. Um, and they also are elected on a nonpartisan ballot, which is essentially a top two open primary without the party label, very similar to a lot of local elections. This sure. reform you know, it came about in 1934 is when Nebraska voters overwhelmingly approved it, and the first unicameral met in 1937. So it's been a long, uh, a huge part of Nebraska's political history over the past uh, nearly 90 years now. Unfortunately, which I guess it shouldn't be too surprising, but um, the major political parties, in this case, um, the Republican Party's in the majority in Nebraska, but I'm sure it would be the, the other way around. If Democrats were in the majority, 
They don't particularly like it because it takes a lot of power away from the parties and and puts it into the hands of these individual senators. So particularly um, in response to term limits, but there are other factors, we're starting to see the nonpartisan aspect, the the behavior of lawmakers has become quite a bit more partisan over the course of the last decade. Um, So when I finished my the campaign in 2016, I moved to Lincoln, was really excited about um, possibly getting a job there. And the first day of session, um, there's two sessions for the legislature, a 90-day session during odd-numbered years and a 60-day during even-numbered years. That longer session and the 90 days for them to pass the, the state budget. But that's when they elect officers and that's kind of the start of the legislature, which goes over this two-year period. Well, they also adopt the legislative rules that they'll use for at that time for the session. And one of the rules is that the leadership of the body, the speaker, the committee chairs, the chairman of the executive board, um, they're all elected by ballot vote, often called a secret ballot, but ballots are inherently secret. So, But it's, it's called the secret ballot, and it allows lawmakers to elect and you know in theory the most the most experienced person for these these roles and that's often been how it's how it's been um the first unicameral when it met was had a democratic majority but they elected for speaker um speaker warner who was a huge advocate for unicameralism and he was a republican so that really set the tone for how leadership was elected Throughout the history of the unicameral, um, you know, back in 2015, I believe the year was, even though there was a, you know, a, a pretty sizable majority of Republicans in the body, there was an equal split between um, chair people who were Republicans and chair pe- people who were Democrats. So it's often been in the history of the body that um, – lawmakers have been able to focus more on the experience of leaders, um, how well they work together with other senators and the expertise that they have, and have used that to educate on who they want in these leadership positions rather than have, like it is in, in other legislatures where the party and the majority controls the leadership um, in, in every way. It, it's controversial um, if you're a partisan because, you know, you're sitting here thinking, well, we have um, our party is in the majority. Why shouldn't we control the whole process? And so the there's other rules that uh, partisans, I think, would like to change. But this use of a ballot is is one of on the top of that list. And so in 2017, right after I'd come from that campaign, um, the legislature came very close within a handful of votes of changing that rule and going to a roll call vote for legislative elections. It's also an interesting year. They call it the Red Wedding. 
Um, oh. Some people do because it was a huge um, change in in how the body had treated uh, chair people in the past. There was a lot of lawmakers who it was their first year in office, and yet they were given chairmanships, and there was a a, a lot more. Um, Republicans were given chairmanships that traditionally um, you would you would have seen um, like the former chair would have kept that chairmanship even if they were a Democrat, for example. So there was a big shift in 2017, and since then we've seen progressively every two years, particularly a, a pretty big push to move away from these nonpartisan rules. And, um, become a more formalized partisan body. So nonpartisan Nebraska, coming all the way back to that question, um, our work is researching how the legislature operates and the rules that it uses, which is fascinating because we're the only legislature in the country that uses this nonpartisan system. Um, and then working with lawmakers to educate them, especially the we're getting so many new lawmakers due to term limits, um, you know, educating them about why we use those rules and explaining that they it, it makes it so they have more power in the system um, and you don't have to go through, you know, the party bosses or party leadership to, to advocate for your constituents. Um, and then... We also work to pull people together on different organizations in the state and um, senators and stakeholders and, and um, you know, raise the alarm and raise awareness for just how incredible our system is and how important it is to keep it alive in our state. Sure. One thing that stands out right away among other things is most of the people we have on the podcast doing nonpartisan reform, they're trying to change the system from what it is right mm-hmm. now. Like it's first past the post and they want to change it to rank choice voting. So it's interesting how your organization is wanting to preserve this versus wanting to change something. So would you yeah, say that, that you would I'm sorry, go ahead. Oh um I was just gonna say that is very true. In some ways we are a conservative organization in the sense of wanting to keep something but we are also very open um, to nonpartisan election reforms like ranked choice voting um, okay. to better isolate the legislature from these partisan pressures we're seeing. Okay, sure. So do you think overall the unicameral system, if we implemented it in other states, would it be beneficial for people in our audience who are involved in alternative parties? Yes. Um, it's an interesting question when, because there's two ways of looking at it. The question of does it benefit third parties? Um, I, I, I think it can. Okay. Um, whether it advocates or benefits independence and, and just the, the people as a whole, I think that's where the benefit comes from. Um, due to the, the top two open primary aspect of it. So what you'll see, I'm from Kearney, which is a very conservative part of the state. It's very rare 
that we have a legislative election where there's a Republican and a Democrat that face off in the general election. Usually, it's two Republicans who are running against each other. And what that causes the candidates to have to do, usually, is campaign for support from the independents and from the Democrats in the in the the district mm-hmm. and make them more accountable to everyone so they have to become more moderate. Um oh. and that's how it's worked predominantly throughout history. It has changed a little bit because Nebraska now has very, very lax campaign finance laws. And so we're seeing a lot of influence from the governor um, the previous governor, particularly who's now in the Senate, Pete Ricketts, um, has dumped a lot of money into legislative elections, even elections where two Republicans have been facing off. He selected the more partisan Republican and poured a lot of money into those races. So that's part of the challenge we're seeing recently and part of what we're, we're working against. Um, but it, it removes party from the equation. So if you were a third-party candidate and you had support from your district um, and could get in that top two in the election, then certainly it would be to your benefit. But I wouldn't say that it systematically supports having multi-partyism within the legislature. Okay. Rather, it supports individualism in, within the senator um, so that they can operate, uh, they have more resources, you know, with, with two members of staff and, um, equal access to the research office. That lawmaker is sort of empowered to represent their district and okay. the people that they represent, um, versus a political party. Okay. So do you think that this system is getting in line with the wisdom of our founders? Like George Washington said, he didn't want parties to be in our country. So do you think that it's getting in line with that? Or do you think there's other forces that are putting this into play? Well, this was born out of the um, populist progressive movement. Um, okay. And was very much pushed for by former U.S. Senator George Norris, who's considered one of the, the greatest senators in American history. Um he pushed for the Rural Electrification Act, and the um, Tennessee Valley Authority. But one of his most proudest reforms was here in Nebraska with the, the nonpartisan unicameral. Oh. And a lot of, you know, you can have a unicameral and it, it doesn't need to be nonpartisan. Sure. But Norris really pushed for the idea that on the state level, national parties really don't come into play nearly as much as on the federal level. Um, I'd say 90%, maybe it's more, maybe it's less, but so much of what is done on the state level has to do with community issues and issues that just don't fall on party lines. So why are we making it? Um, So essentially the parties have this monopoly over political participation. If you want to be involved as a political leader, you really have to choose between one in a partisan system. I mean, you have to choose between one of these two parties and it carries with you for your entire political career, whether you want to be in the legislature or seek higher office. 
versus here in Nebraska, it's that that it doesn't become the prerequisite or in theory not supposed to be the prerequisite for leading your community. You can be an independent and, and run for office. You don't have to go through the parties. Um, that's not to say political parties don't play a role in our democracy. Um, they can play a very important role. But what this system, the theory of this system is based on the idea that within the government structure, within the elections, and within how decision, decisions are made inside the legislature, that um, all organizations are treated the same. So okay. if you're a Republican, being in the legislature doesn't make you not a Republican. It just means that the Republican, you're not given special privileges or powers or positions because of that affiliation. Okay. Sounds good. So you were saying about that senator who thought this would be, it's more relevant on the state level. Parties mm-hmm. are less relevant on the state level than on the federal level. So it would seem that this system makes the political process more relevant to the needs of the constituents. Would you say that is accurate? Absolutely. Yep. Earlier you are mentioning that about the secret ballot versus the roll call votes. Mm-hmm. And oftentimes people would support the roll call vote because it shows it shows transparency. I remember mm-hmm. when I was in student government, if there was a controversial issue, they would demand a roll call vote rather than mm-hmm. if it's something that wasn't a big deal, everyone would say yay, and then they would go for it. So what advantages do you see to the secret ballot versus the roll call vote? Well, I think it's super important to differentiate between a uh, a ballot vote for for elections versus a ballot vote for policy um, questions, laws, bills, etc. In Nebraska, okay. every senator has the right to demand a roll call vote on any question, um, and that was an important part of the unicameral um, reform is was to make sure that the people. Um, had access to how lawmakers voted. But with an election, it, it, it's not a, um, it's not a question of public policy who serves on the Judiciary Committee as chairman. It's, it's more of a relationship, relational question. And okay. it's also really interesting to me because it's not controversial anywhere else. Oh. Um, we've used ballot votes you know, your school board, your city council. I mean, ballot votes are used in uh, private organizations all over the place to elect leaders, and we do that to preserve relationships. Um, and nobody thinks twice about it. But when you put it in the context of your state legislature where the, the political parties want control over that system, um, if you use a roll call vote, you – it allows for the parties to go back and reward or punish lawmakers who don't support the, the party's leadership. What's, what's really interesting watching um, the House 
conundrum here where they're trying to figure out speakers uh-huh. is they, in the caucus, they use a secret ballot. Oh. You know. And then they go out, and, of course, you're expected to vote alongside your party on the roll call. So that's exactly what would happen. You know, you would the, – the lawmakers would just divide by political party and vote probably by secret ballot, and then they'd go and say, oh, look how transparent we are. I, I think it gives this this image of transparency that's really not accurate oh. um, because it's just um, – it's important that you not be influenced on who you vote for for leadership. That should be something based on the merit and based on um, the experience or expertise, not the, the political party um, of, of leadership. Okay. Earlier, you made the distinction between nonpartisan and unicameral because of the uniqueness of your area. So, mm-hmm. so what if a state wasn't able to go to the unicameral system, yet the nonpartisan part would be in favor? So, would you? How, how do you do you think it would work? Okay, in a bicameral system as well, if people wanted it. Uh, yeah. So, you could theoretically um, institute nonpartisan rules in a bicameral. Maybe the Senate had nonpartisan rules. Um, I know Alaska has used a, a unique approach to how they've, they've governed with kind of a coalition um, within their Senate. I haven't delved too deep into it. One of the, the challenging aspects of it, though, is nonpartisanship is important to the unicameral in Nebraska because it adds a check to the system. You okay. only have 49 senators. If, if it was ran strictly by the parties, it would make it even more easy for the government to just be ran by parties rather than um, a legislature that can stand up for itself. Okay. With, when you get more people, when you get two houses particularly, um, the parties play a role in, in governing. Um, All right. And, and making, you know, sure things can run properly. So I think you could manage it. It's the same if you were to, if you were to have a state adopt a unicameral but not do the nonpartisan aspect. Um, I would be wary of that because it, it plays an important role in, um, playing a check and balance on the legislative system. I mean, since 19, oh, what was it? 1965, I think. Um, State legislatures, both houses are based on population. And so it's essentially just a redundancy to have two houses. Both houses represent the same ratio of constituents. Um, and it, I, it's kind of like I think states just do it because why would they vote to get rid of, you know, why would lawmakers vote to get rid of their jobs? Um, but there's not a whole lot of I don't think there's a whole lot of benefit to having two houses. It makes the process more convoluted, harder to follow. Okay. You know, in Nebraska, if you are interested in a bill, it's really easy to follow. You know exactly which oh. committee it is in. You know what your lawmaker is doing. You know how they voted on every stage of the process. 
um, and you can hold that lawmaker accountable versus if you're a constituent in Arizona and you have an issue, well, that bill is going to be two versions of the bill could have been introduced. So you're trying to watch it in the House and the Senate. Oh, and the rules are different in the House than they're different in the Senate. And then, okay, this senator voted this way, but your representative voted that way. I mean, it's just so much more difficult to hold the lawmakers accountable to that piece of legislation because there's so many different actors and processes at play versus the linear, straightforward process of the unicameral system. Sure. I never thought of it that way, but it makes perfect sense. So it sounds like although the two aspects of it, the nonpartisan and unicameral aspects, are entirely different things, they go hand in hand together. Yeah. Yep. It's I I like to describe it as um, three pillars that the the system kind of rests on. You have the nonpartisan elections, okay, um, which is that top two open primary, which I think that's the most important part. People often get distracted by the fact that there's no party labels on the ballot. Um, I think the people know the parties of these candidates. It's public information. Um, but the second part is the small unicameral structure. You have 49 people that can build relationships and work together. And then that third part is the legislative rules that the unicameral adopts. Um, the challenging part is that Nebraska, in our Constitution in 1934, we established the nonpartisan elections and we established the unicameral, but there's nothing that forces the unicameral to have nonpartisan rules. Okay. In 1937, it was just like this perfect storm of all of this, all of these reforms happening at one time and the support of George Norris, who was just so incredibly popular in Nebraska, um, that lawmakers adopted this completely new nonpartisan approach. Um, and then that, that tradition and that dedication to a nonpartisan system has continued till today. Um, I spoke about the secret ballot, but there's other examples um, when they go to select committees, the legislature separates into three different caucuses, um, and they're loosely based on the three different congressional districts in the state. Oh. And then each caucus puts forward um, members to serve on the committee on committees. Um, and then the committee on committees, you know, puts their recommendation to the full legislature, which can vote it down or up. Um, Another example is the executive board, um, which serves as kind of the administrative aspect of, of the legislature. That's made up equally of the three caucuses, and it also serves as the referencing committee. So where in a lot of legislatures, the speaker or the president unilaterally chooses which committee a bill goes to, um, in our system, it's done openly by this referencing committee, and if a senator disagrees with where a bill was referenced, they can um, they can object to it and force a vote by the whole body on the referencing of a particular bill. Okay. Um, so th there's put into place some checks on the system 
that allow for individual senators to um, keep leadership accountable um, and reinforce that nonpartisan aspect that you wouldn't usually see in another state. Okay. So since you're talking about how in Nebraska some people are wanting to change your system, what arguments do they have for changing the system, and how do you counter these arguments? Well, one of the big arguments is to go back to a bicameral. Um, And usually folks say, well, population is shifting to eastern Nebraska, Lincoln, and Omaha. Um, We need to make sure that western Nebraska continues to have a voice in government. And so we should go to a bicameral. Usually people who suggest that don't realize that since that um, Reynolds v. Sims decision by the Supreme Court in the 60s, you wouldn't be increasing representation for Western Nebraska. You would just be increasing the total number of politicians um, and the ratio would be the same. The other argument that's given um, is that folks would like the process to be partisan. Um, And that's just a, I think, if you're a partisan and and you want your party to completely control the system, then that makes sense. You know, a a partisan legislature would allow your party to, to institute its agenda more effectively. However, um, I like to remind people that an overzealous majority today is a whimpering minority tomorrow. And although, especially right now where you're seeing that population shift, Nebraska might not always have, well, it's for sure that Nebraska is not always going to have the majority of Republicans in our legislature, whether it's four years, eight years, 12 years down the road, um, that majority party is going to be very thankful for the fact that the system is impartial and allows um, lawmakers to have a say in the system based on merit versus party affiliation. In fact, right now, you will have, we've seen it from the beginning that a lot of times senators break rather than break down by party can break down versus rural and um, urban interests. And the nonpartisan process gives rural Republicans, um, as a minority in the legislature, a a voice that they wouldn't otherwise have in a partisan system, particularly a bipartisan or a bicameral system. Oh, interesting. So even though the partisans wanted to be partisan, it would benefit some of them if they kept it nonpartisan. Yes. In the long term, I think it would certainly benefit um, the the interests of some of the folks that are calling for a partisan system. Their children and grandchildren will be very appreciative that it's nonpartisan um, if it were to remain. Sure, sure. So beforehand you gave me your annual report to read, and also we talked about this in the the earlier part of the show. You mentioned how your organization – was founded in 2017 and incorporated in 2020. Mm-hmm. And I have and I've incorporated a business, and there's various reasons that people incorporate a business 
they may differ and they may be the same as some of the reasons for incorporating a nonprofit. Since our audience members are involved in, some of them are involved in nonpartisan organizations like yours. So what would you say are the benefits for incorporating an organization, a non, a nonprofit organization? Yeah. So when, when I started this, this idea, it started out mostly as a Facebook page called sure. Nonpartisan Nebraska. And I was, Oh, 20 years old when I started this. Oh. So, you know, over time, that Facebook page, you know, was able to kind of grow. I went to rules committee hearings and testified. In 2017, it took them um, one-third of the whole session to adopt their rules. And okay. so I actually went and protest testified at um, a bunch of committee hearings in a neutral capacity on the bill, since the rules are relevant to every bill. Um, but finally in 2020, I, I, well, I had helped a group of ranked choice voting in Nebraska, um, organize. And so I watched the, the process they went and under the process they under, under went to get that 501c3 designation. And, um, finally was like, you know what? I've been wanting to do this for years. It's really important. We need some structure. We need to move this this concept forward. Um, I had asked other organizations to kind of take it on um, in the hopes that someone else could organize this for me. Um, and so what I did was I, I wrote a an op-ed in my paper in Carney um, with kind of the heading, you know, Nebraska legislature in crisis and really laid out what the problem was and what the vision was and then promoted that article on Facebook asking folks to sign up to be part of an incorporation committee. Oh. Um, and that was able, we were able to get about, I think almost 20 folks to participate in a, a four-week incorporation process where we we analyzed, you know, what would the goals of this organization be? Um, is this feasible? Um, and then, of course, raising the funds for filing and giving the organization a name. Um, and so when that process was, was over, we then had a, a founding board of directors, did our filing, and um, that's how we started the organization. So it was, it was nice and Formal. I like formal processes. It doesn't have to be that formal. Um, sure. But it certainly allowed for a lot of different kinds of people to be involved, from from former senators to um, people with just everyday folks who enjoy watching the legislature who are passionate about our system. So our organization has one of our strengths has really been uh, a, a diversity in, in experience. Um, we have uh, a university student in his second year on our board of directors. Wow. And we have Dr. Charlene Behrens, who's written multiple books about the unicameral um, and is a former journalism professor from UNL. So it's a great mixture of different different folks involved in the organization. Yeah, it sounds like it. It sounds like it. So also in your annual report, you mentioned something that a lot of audience would be interested in especially the more liberal members is the ESG stuff you had a part of the report talking about ESG. So what do you think are the best ways for 
nonprofit organizations, nonpartisan or if they're partisan, to put ESG metrics into place? Um, ESG. Do you mean ESG like um, environmental, social governance? That they often measure corporations like that. To mm-hmm. so I saw something in your report about that. Well, I'm not quite sure exactly. We haven't done, um, I mean, for our annual report, we looked at the you know, the political climate of the state, uh-huh. what changes we were facing, um, what the public perception was, um, what we have been doing. A, a big part of our strategy has been a lot of opinion articles, and um, the, the press has been um, very active in in asking for our input on on things related to the legislature. And then we also looked at our social media performance. I would one of the things we need as an organization um, is a more robust understanding of who is supporting our organization. Um, And a lot of that can be achieved through a a more um, mature website in some of those some of those things. I and currently working as a volunteer, so there's sort of this level of like, oh, I really wish we weren't there, um, but we haven't. We're working towards getting a, a stronger, stronger understanding of of our um, support base as as we continue to grow. Okay, so you're you're defining your target audience. Yes, yeah, yeah. which is one of the strengths of our. I think it's very unique to nonpartisan Nebraska as a reform organization is we have a whole population of former senators and former politicians um, across the political spectrum that have a deep respect for our system. Um, and so we are a grassroots organization, but we kind of have the support of a, a part of the establishment that you wouldn't normally have support from. Um, when trying to reform, um, you know, something like open primaries or ranked choice voting. So that is, that has been a huge benefit to the work that, that we've done. Also, people learn about the unicameral and George Norris in, in fourth grade in Nebraska. So okay. everyone remembers, uh, what they were taught in fourth grade, but Nebraskans are very proud of our unicameral and if they know who George Norris is, they're very proud of, of his um, impact on the United States. He he's the reason we have a cloture motion in the Senate because he uh, oh. he filibustered the the a bill that would arm merchant ships going into World War One, um, and just has been he was profiled in JFK's um, profiles and courage so. He is a really remarkable, very honest, very humble politician that really resonates with Nebraska's political culture or what we'd hope it to remain to be. It's just things are changing so rapidly right now in politics that it's it's almost like I'm talking about a Nebraska a decade ago and Nebraska today is is just 
it's really really challenging to watch the influence of of polarization on on our country and the state as well. Okay. So when you did that research for through social media, what did you learn mm -hmm. in the process? Um you know, I I mostly went through and looked at what Facebook would tell me. Um, okay. One thing I learned that was really interesting is the – so the year prior, we had done $284 in Facebook advertising, which wasn't particularly intentional. It was kind of like, oh, I think this will resonate well. Let's see how it does. Last year, we put $451, and the increase in impressions – um, the paid reach increased by 376%, and then the impressions increased by 474%. And oh, that sounds the a lot. increase in dollar amount was only a little bit over 100%. So the more money that was put into the advertising, not only did it we receive a lot more, but it was um, a, a huge amount more if, if you're able to put, um, you know, you might – it's better to put, let's say, $100 into an ad campaign versus $50. Um, it's kind of the lesson I learned with this. Oh. I also, our Facebook page and social media is, um, I think, because of so many Nebraskans having kind of already a support for the unicameral, it, it performs really well. Um, and that's something I'm, I'm hoping to understand some them more about as we continue to grow. Sure. So is your organization a dues paying member? Do you receive it, money from donations? How if it's not if it's not private, how are you funded so we can get a good idea for other organizations that may be founding? Fundraising is our Achilles tendon. Um okay. it's something that starting out I I have a lot of strengths as an individual, but I definitely did not um, prioritize fundraising. If I were to redo things, I think we'd be focusing on it more from day one. Um, sure. We have been able to meet our essentials, like our website and, you know, the paid advertising we've done through a couple different, like, um, community gives community giving um, things they do, like Lincoln Gives, which is always every year at a certain time, um, and then approaching folks that we know are supportive of the organization. But long-term, we are wanting, we're focusing on diversifying that income stream through grants, um, particularly as well as one approach is having a membership um, program where folks can donate any amount and then become a member of the organization. We're, the way that we're designated as a 501c3 is um, like a, a kind of like a think tank um, okay. long term. Right, right now we're focused on the unicameral because it's under threat, but long term I would like to see the organization develop into a uh, 
entity that can provide research and support to other parts in the country and other parts in Nebraska that are interested in finding nonpartisan ways to do their decision making. So like you had mentioned, having a nonpartisan Senate or a nonpartisan bicameral, that would be something that we would be interested in supporting. And maybe it's not nonpartisan, but it can be less partisan. So sure. finding ways to kind of take out that, that I want to say corrupt, you know, I, I'm not a huge fan of parties, but take out that over-dependence on political parties and defining how decisions are made and people are organized, I think is really important for the future of the country um, so that we can go back to supporting ideas based on their merit and not having this us versus them um, almost like team sport mentality that we're seeing with political parties and identities sure. today. So for people in other states who may want to get their state to be nonpartisan, how would you say the best approach for them to do? Does it depend on their state and their circumstances in their state, or is there one general approach that you think is best? I think you need to, you need to do it state by state. Um, okay. Independents are growing. Um, people are – this is the perfect time for reform because people are sick and tired of, of politics and, and the devices we're seeing on the national stage and on the state level. So the most important thing you can do is bring people together who share that um, that belief in a, a better, more independent, nonpartisan way. And then right now a lot of states are focusing on election reforms, and I think that's where things kind of have to start. Oh, okay. But looking further out and looking at, I think, I don't know, most people, most people I speak to about unicameral reforms is they're like, that's so far off the table, they feel like it's just not something we could even achieve. But I think being mindful of it and keeping it as a, a North Star reform um, could really pay off in other states, particularly states like Hawaii and Alaska um, that have already have small legislatures or like in Hawaii, there's, it's already so predominantly one political party that it would make a lot of sense for that system to be a nonpartisan system. Um, but I haven't had a chance to talk to folks in Hawaii, so I don't know how they think about that. <laughs> but sure. in Arizona, I was, I was, very excited to talk. I, I spoke with the Democratic leaders, and I was like, oh, I have this idea, you know, this nonpartisan process, you know, what if we did this? And they were very interested in it. Um, and then I spoke to the majority party, and they were also very interested in it, but they were only interested in it if they became the minority. <laughs> and hmm. Democrats were only interested in it if they remained in the minority. So it's it's really hard to convince a majority to give up its power is what I've discovered. Sure. Yeah, that echoes what we hear a lot in our podcast. Although there are people who are in power who for the who see the good for reforms in mm -hmm. general, if if they're in power they don't want the reforms as a general rule. Yeah, it's so hard. And, and it's the 
scary thing about what's going on here in Nebraska is once those rules change, um, it's going to be really, really, really hard to get them back. Um, oh, no. So we either have to adapt and, and find the most nonpartisan, partisan way that we can do things or figure out a way to get um, – because you can't – State legislatures are given the right in their state constitutions, and it's the same for Congress, to determine their own rules of proceedings. And so that means they have a constitutional right to have their own process, and it's really, really hard to tell them how to do it. You can't do it by state statute. And if you go into the Constitution, and let's say we adopted an amendment that says the Nebraska the Legislature in Nebraska shall organize in a nonpartisan way. How in the world is the court supposed to enforce that? You know, like, what is that even? It's just, it's a really hard thing to actually define and then actually enforce. So it has to be something that the legislators themselves are committed to. And that's a, that's a hard group of people to be committed to to fairness, I guess you could say, in a, in a process that doesn't benefit political parties. So that's why I call it a perfect storm in 1937 when the unicameral met. Sure, sure. So how can our audience support your organization where they, they live in Nebraska or elsewhere? Well, um, if people are able to donate and are interested in supporting our organization, it's um, now we're headed in January. It's, it's going to be a rules rules amendments are on the agenda. We know for sure, and we want to make sure that we can be involved. Um, so, any support that folks can provide uh, financially, it would be a, a huge help to our work. Um, they can go okay. to our website npnebraska.org and learn a bit more. Um, the other way people can support is um, liking and following us on, on social media. Um, as we continue to do our work, I hope that we can put more resources together for folks outside Nebraska so that they can um, think about ways of incorporating some of our reforms to their own state. Um, sure. And following along is, you know, always very helpful for the work we do. Sure, sounds good. Nathan, we thank you for coming on the podcast today and talking to our audience about something we haven't talked about before. We appreciate the education. Yeah, thank you very much for letting me talk about it. It's it's a really exciting reform that um, not a lot of people realize we have right in the heart of the country. Excellent. We wish you all the best in your organization and everything else you do in life, all your personal and professional endeavors. Thank you, Andrew. You have a good day. You too. Take care.